I told you it would be about the anthem. If you've been listening to the uh, John Stoggerwald show here on AM 1250, the answer you've heard me say that because of Roger Goodell's gutlessness, the NFL postgame discussions are going to be as much about uh, what happened during the national anthem as they will be about what happened in the games, maybe more. Well, they were only exhibition games last night. But most of the talk has been about the few guys who either decided to kneel or raise a fist and President Trump then responding to that uh, by saying they really don't know what they're protesting, by the way. That's what he said, uh, whether he knows that or not. And, and uh, there's very little talk about the games anyway. There's really never much to say after the first exhibition game anyway. They're usually uh, excruciatingly boring, which the Steelers game was last night. But this is going to carry over until the regular season and maybe right through the Super Bowl. It might have been nice if the president had just let it go, but he's not able to restrain himself. So, um, you know, it's just not going to happen. And there might be, uh, you know, there might be a special kick that the guy gets, especially a young guy. Uh, to get out of doing something that you know is going to get a reaction from the most powerful man in the world. I mean, you do something at 8 o'clock at night, and by 11.30 or midnight, the President of the United States is is commenting on it. So the players may have done it for the sole purpose of getting a rise out of Trump. Once again, though, the NFL has to fix it or stop playing the song. It wasn't meant to be a fi- the cause of a fiasco, and that's what it's become. It's amazing how much and how often the president gets involved in sports stories, by the way. Um, he criticized LeBron James a few days ago, said he was unable to make Don Lemon, the guy he called the dumbest guy in television, look smart. And this was after LeBron had been praised everywhere for putting up some money to start a charter school in Akron, his hometown, and the media slobbering over LeBron was out of control, as I said uh, at the time. And I made the point last week that the focus should have been on the need for school choice, which is what his school is doing, the LeBron school is doing, for some kids in a rotten school district up there in Akron. And I came across a piece on OutkickTheCoverage.com. It's an excellent um, site and a rarity. It's Clay Travis, the guy who runs it, and he's a conservative in the sports media, that's a rarity, believe me. And he's a little bit of a maniac, but boy, did he blow a hole in the story. And he didn't make LeBron look bad. He made the slobbering media look bad. Most people seeing the coverage would think that LeBron put up several million dollars for a private school, but he didn't. It's a public school. And that was pointed out by uh, Clay Travis that, that the city of Akron, Ak- he says the city of Akron's taxpayers are actually paying for 75 to 80 percent of the school. And this is what Travis, uh, uh, Clay Travis writes, but that exceedingly positive, dare I even say, saint-like media coverage extended into outright hero worship the moment Donald Trump took a shot at LeBron late on Friday night. Yeah, as soon as the president trashed him, then the media then hopped on the, the bandwagon for LeBron James, and uh, it be, he became a bigger hero. Uh, Travis Rice, LeBron also said Trump's voters had made a mistake in voting for him and compared it to giving his daughter too many Skittles. This is a quote from LeBron James, by the way. No matter whether you voted for him uh, or not, meaning Trump, uh, you may have made a mistake and that's okay. You voted for him. It's okay. I've done things for my daughter and realized I shouldn't have gave my daughter that many damn Skittles. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Uh, That's not exactly brilliant political analysis, but that's from LeBron James. And and here's a, a more from Travis. Uh, he says, in the wake of Trump's tweet for the next several days, the sports media rallied around LeBron James. This is what I said a week ago, by the way, trumpeting his school and the fact that he was paying over $40 million for his college, college scholarships. They also predictably said 
that Trump was racist because everyone knows if a white guy insults a black guy, and if that black guy had previously insulted him and all of his supporters for years, it's completely unjustified and racist. But uh, the coverage made it look like the whole thing is his. This is a quote from the district spokesman in Akron, okay, the school district. They were actually annoyed by it. The coverage made it look like the whole thing is his. He did a lot, but taxpayers should know it's their investment, too. That's what he said. Now, this is what this is again, Travis. LeBron's foundation, remember, it's not LeBron himself. It's his foundation, which solicits donations from other individuals and companies to do his charitable work. He's only on, it's on, the foundation is only on the hook for $500,000 a year for the next several years. According to Forbes magazine last year, LeBron made $85.5 million. Even if we give LeBron credit for all that yearly money coming out of his own pocket, that means LeBron committing .0058 of his yearly income on his school. That's the equivalent of someone making $50,000 a year, donating $292 a year for charity. A little short of sainthood, I think. Put another way, if you make $50,000 a year and you put $10 a week in the charity plate at church, You'd be donating $520 a year of your income, which is uh, nearly twice what LeBron will be donating to, quote, his school. Uh, And on top of that, LeBron has also gotten credit for donating over $40 million to fund college scholarships. And uh, Travis writes, if you Google LeBron and college scholarships, every major media entity in the country has an article about his praiseworthy donation. Uh, But... The university, not the foundation, is guaranteeing those scholarships, though the two are hoping to raise money to cover some costs. That's according to the University of Akron. Okay? Uh, Last thing here. Um, LeBron James Foundation, according to the most recent tax filings, has $1.8 million in assets and had total revenue of $3.5 million. So let's be generous and say that $2 million of this in the past year is from LeBron. LeBron is worth $500 million. This means LeBron is putting, point, is putting .004 of his assets into his charitable foundation every year. If you were making $50,000 a year, this would be the equivalent of putting two hundred a year into your foundation. So and then people are saying, why are you criticizing him? And Travis says, I'm not at all, but I do think that these facts like these matter when it comes to lionizing someone for greatness. So that's the issue. If you're going to talk about how great this guy is, get the facts right, and maybe the priorities are off a little bit. The focus should be on the schools and how bad they are. Uh, so uh, Travis finally says, when you actually look at the facts here, LeBron is receiving, receiving credit as if he's the most generous athlete in American history, yet based on the share of his income he's actually donating, uh, th- that he's donating, I doubt LeBron is even in the top 1,000 most generous athletes in the country. And the, and the sports media blew it on, on this LeBron story because they wanted the story to be true and because they wanted to preserve their access to a superstar. So, as I said, when they had the big announcement about the I Promise School last week, LeBron and the media could have done a lot more uh, good by pointing out how rotten the Akron City Schools are. When we come back, we'll talk to an expert on how to avoid having your kids go to a rotten school. Don't pay double for your next home improvement project. Many companies are simply asking too much for windows, siding, and doors. You need at least three estimates. Just make sure Windows R Us is one of them. With over 50 years of home remodeling experience, Windows R Us is more than a window company. They're the area's premier exterior replacement company for roofing, siding, doors, gutters, even shutters and downspouts. You'll love their no-pressure sales approach, straightforward menu-style pricing, and the absolute fastest turnaround in the business. Windows 
Toys R Us offers multiple financing options and will match any competitor's price. No hidden costs or final invoice surprises ever. And their no loophole full lifetime warranty covers everything, including labor and glass breakage at no additional charge. Mention AM 1250 and get an exclusive 10% discount for listeners of this station only. Why pay double? Before you buy, visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. They're more than a window company. They're the area's premier exterior replacement company. WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. The one thing I loved about working with him, we got to pray with our patients. And I could do that without feeling like I was going to get in trouble. At the medicine shops in Oakmont and Penn Hills, nurse practitioner Joyce Gibb continues the legacy of pharmacist, mentor, and friend Joe DiMedio. And many people, you cannot cure them or make them truly get well if they have something down deep that they haven't ever addressed. Stress affects your whole body. Like when I get stressed, I have between my shoulder blades, my muscles get tight. Some people, it's GI. Some people, it can be a rash. Some people, their immune system is down. So we address that too. But you have to address the root causing that stress for them to truly heal. One of the things I'm very humbled by is that many of the people that Joe and I saw together, they're still coming to see me. And I just really appreciate that. And I'm going to try to have the same empathy and love and caring that he had. I just love it. It's my dream job. It's what I've always wanted to do. Every day is different because not everybody's the same. Call for a consultation today. 888-865-9595. Obamacare, Trump Care, ACA, COBRA. There are so many choices, but all seem to bring one word to mind. Expensive. There are lots of changes happening in healthcare today. Fortunately, I know someone that has been on the forefront of health insurance for years. Todd Marley at Marley Financial. Todd and his team of professionals are licensed with virtually every healthcare provider in the country. They help determine which plan is right for you and then expertly help you choose the best plan for your needs and then do so prudently. Don't need maternity coverage? Call Marley Financial. Have pre-existing conditions? Call Marley Financial. Want just catastrophic or just accident? You know the answer. Worried about the penalty? All of Marley Financial plans are penalty exempt because they know how to design the plans. Most of their clients save 30 to 60%, which can add up to several thousand dollars a year. Call Todd at Marley Financial, 724-884-1496. That's 724-884-1496 on the web at MarleyFG.com. You know the moment. The workday is over. Your daily responsibilities have been met. The shoes slip off and you lay back. It's that end of day. Ah, <sighs> That's the relief you'll feel when you rest on the body-soothing serenity. Made locally at the Original Mattress Factory. Relief from middleman markups and a hard day's work. The Original Mattress Factory. Thoughtfully made, honestly priced. OriginalMattress.com When it comes to selling you a mattress, most retailers are handing you a line. A long line of extra steps that drive up costs and create confusion. At the Original Mattress Factory, we simplify the mattress shopping experience by building mattresses and box springs in our own local factories and selling them direct to you. It's short, sweet, and simply makes sense. So experience more than just a mattress store. Experience an original, the Original Mattress Factory. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. So LeBron James has been all but canonized for helping to create a charter school up there in Akron. This isn't a criticism. Uh, Again, uh, uh, it's not a criticism of LeBron James. He can't control how the media covers him. But the media, mostly liberals, especially in the sports media, uh, wouldn't think to look into why LeBron would feel the need to create a school. And really, based on his experiences, uh, LeBron should be an advocate for school choice. He came from a bad one. That's why he started this one. He should be a really loud advocate. 
uh, for it. Uh, Tommy Schultz is an advocate for school choice. He's the communications director for the American Federation for Children. He's with us now. Thanks for being here, Tommy. Of course. Happy to be here. So did LeBron, as I said here, and I I had someone on uh, at the time that they made this big announcement to talk about sort of the same thing. But it's it's. Uh, I, I just wonder if if did LeBron and the media miss an opportunity here to expose how rotten the Akron schools are? Or instead of you know saying that what a, an idiot Donald Trump was and we're going back to slavery and those kinds of things, would he have done more good if he had just said, "Hey, these schools stink"? Look, I think it was a huge missed opportunity for the media, at least, to focus on that very issue. As you said, that there are some pretty. Uh, uh, direly underperforming public schools out there that are underserving a lot of kids. And I think it was a missed opportunity for them just to do some basic fact-checking, uh, just not only on what type of school uh, that LeBron had opened, but also what else is going on in Akron and in a lot of other cities in this country. Uh, and in particular, I think one of the, the big notions that I, you know, when I heard the news last week, too, I was on the road, but I said, oh, that's fascinating. LeBron started a charter school. He's going to follow in line with a lot of other, you know, uh, famous folks and athletes like Jalen Rose, Andre Agassi, Deion Sanders, uh, David Robinson, Kevin Johnson, just the ones off the top of my head that started their own charter schools. These schools are really high performing. They're getting great results for kids because they're giving these kids an option. The kids are choosing to go to that school. The families are choosing to go to that school. They actually have some agency in that matter. And so I do a little bit of digging and it turns out, Actually, LeBron James didn't start a charter school. And so I said, well, I, I probably shouldn't be looking at the kind of media headlines in the sports realm because they're clearly not doing the fact-checking. And it turns out, yeah, he started a public school um, and at least provided uh, a portion of the initial capital to get it going. I think that's one of the major distinctions. Uh, he didn't provide all the money for the school, but he did provide some startup capital for the school. Uh, it's run uh, by the district, though, which is a big distinction. Normally in a charter school, Basically, you're getting approval from the district to run your own kind of school and operation. Normally, charter schools are started by, like, former teachers or principals or even, you know, a bunch of families that get together and say, look, we want a different option for our kids. So, LeBron, I would love to hear more about what his team was thinking when they started this. I've got a hunch uh, here, John, that essentially they looked at probably starting a charter school, saying, look, we would love to kind of try our own model here. And it, and it looks like he... Uh, is, you know, seeking to get some different types of services that are going to help some of these disadvantaged kids. Uh, and maybe they looked under, you know, the hood of what was going on and said, okay, here's the process for starting a charter school. Uh, it's going to be, you know, five to ten years just to get it off the ground. It's going to be tens of millions of dollars potentially in investment just to get it off the ground. You know, it seems like maybe they took uh, the easier step and said, all right, look, Let's, you know, work with the district to just start another district school, but maybe they'll allow us to pay for some of this additional services and they'll let us kind of, you know, create a cool building that's, you know, unique in the system. And, you know, he could use that as a jumping off point for starting more initiatives like this for helping our education system. Uh, I think that would have been really interesting. And I'll note, too, you know, LeBron James, uh, he went to a private school, right? I mean, he went to St. Vincent, St. Mary. Uh, for high school, where, you know, he became uh, the absolute superstar in the NBA realm, or it's what started his career in the NBA. And so I think he understands that, look, we do need some different options, and we do need some different choices. And again, the media, they kind of, they blew it on getting the facts right, uh, because I, I don't think they just did their due diligence. 
They also wanted to sidetrack it into this political conversation, which was really unproductive because, again, there's, you know, we spend about $630 billion on our education system every year, about as much as we spend on the Defense Department, and yet uh, less than 40% of our kids can do uh, reading and math at grade level. So I think there's a much bigger problem that we could have focused on, but unfortunately uh, the media seemed to screw it up. Now, um, and I, I kind of have the same reaction when um, I see, like there's a story about the University of North Carolina. Uh, they had a kid, they had some kids who were barely literate and even a couple who might have been completely illiterate that were there on scholarship uh, to play football and or basketball. And my reaction to, the, to that has been, now, first of all, it's a joke that, that college would have a kid like that on campus. But my response to that is, if I'm in the media down in North Carolina, or wherever I, if I'm in the media in the town where this kid came from who can't read, I'd be going mm-hmm. to do a story on the school that gave this kid a diploma, even though he couldn't read it. So, I mean, how do, how do and you hear all the time about kids, you know, playing in college who... Uh, read at a fourth grade level or read at an eighth grade level or, or, you know, need remedial reading. How did they, I forget how they got into the college, that's bad enough, but how did they get through high school? How, they, they just they just push them through, right? Right. This is the tragedy of the system, right? It's more about, uh, you know, power and control over the system and about uh, these districts or the unions, you name it, wanting to keep the money in the system. And it's a black eye for them if they uh, hold a kid back and say, you know what, we're not going to let any kids graduate unless they are up to speed and up to par on, re- on reading and math, right? It's about, they're just about socially promoting them, getting them through the doors. Uh, and for them, you know, I think, I, I don't know this specific North Carolina example, I'd love to look into it, but I know uh, just recently there was um, a report uh, that came out of Baltimore that said, uh, you know, out of like 3,800 students that took uh, the city, you know, test, uh, only 14 out of 3,800 actually tested proficient in math, which is basically grade level. And I think I not saw it from the same report, another statistic that said 90% of black boys in Baltimore can't read at grade level. I mean, this is a travesty. And in Baltimore and some of these larger urban centers, we, I mean, Baltimore, we're spending $16,000 per student. And I think Ohio at large, where LeBron's school is, I think they're spending $12,000 uh, per pupil on their education system. And uh, again, it's a shame. There's a lot of kids slipping through the cracks, and I have the same questions too of why, you know, why are these kids being, you know, pushed out the door when they clearly are not prepared uh, for, you know, higher education or for life. A lot of po- folks do point fingers at college. I think rightly so. They're doing some things wrong in the higher education sphere for sure. But you know, when I think I've seen statistics that 60% of our students entering community college or four-year colleges you know, 60% need remedial education, that's clearly a K-12 problem that needs to be investigated saying, you know, 60% of the students just are not ready uh, and we're graduating 84% of students from high school. This, there's something going wrong here in the K-12 system. Talk, we're talking to Tommy Schultz of the American Federation for Children. Uh, Tommy, up in Akron, they're on track to graduate 54% of their seniors. That's down from 74 and I saw that the superintendent just got a raise to $244,000 a year. So my question would be, what would it take to get a superintendent fired if 54% graduation rate gets you a raise? Uh, well, I, I don't think anyone's figured out the answer there because I think the incentive systems just aren't aligned for that, right? I mean, the incentive systems within the 
uh, public education establishment, again, is about power and control. It's about telling parents, ooh, look at this new building that we built, right? And we've raised all this money for it, and here's this shiny new gym over here. Rather than saying, you know, look, yeah, there needs to be a dedication to looking at the, the awful graduation rates, let alone the ones that are graduating clearly aren't prepared. Uh, I mean, the system uh, is just not aligned to make those types of reforms or to give parents leverage over the system, right? I mean, we deal with families all across the country. I mean, millions on charter school waiting lists begging to get out of their current school because they see that their kid is either on uh, the pipeline to poverty or prison if they're staying in that current environment. They're begging for an option like to go to the private school that's just down the street if they only had a tax credit scholarship or a voucher to get there. Uh, we see millions of families like this in this dire situation. They're begging for it. They've been begging for it for 30 or 40 years. And look, the public school system writ large just is not uh, made for change. You know, you have 13,000 school districts across the country, their own little bureaucratic systems that aren't going to be receptive to some of these parent needs and their desire for options. So it's a real shame. Um, and I think there's a, a great quote from someone uh, that we you know work with a lot who said, look, School choice is widespread in America, unless you're poor, right? You can move to the better school district if you have the financial means to do so. And so I thought it was exciting to see that LeBron was really targeting lower income and disadvantaged kids. I think there's just some more opportunities for him to do more in the school choice space for sure. Uh, and we hope that he does do that in the future. And this is just his initial foray into education reform. And um, what, what he's d- doing basically is partnering by doing the, the the way he did it he's partnering with the people who did a terrible job of educating him before he escaped to a catholic school and he's partnering with the people that created a rotten school system they've been in charge of the democrats since 1963 so he's partnering with them uh to um just continue what they're doing i mean he's he's trying to help by you know creating his own school but he's still partnering with the very people that created the problem yeah, and you and I talked about it at the beginning. I'd love to hear more of the rationale of why they did that, because they could have had a lot more opportunity to do significantly better by uh, going a little bit more on their own, uh, so to speak. And, you know, frankly, as you said, you I mean, there's a system that's been failing kids for a while. I'm very worried that, you know, they might eat his lunch. You know, he may start some new exciting ventures within the school or, or his team might be proposing this, but then... All of a sudden, the district's just going to come in and, you know, maybe a union contract will eat up more and more of the dollars that should be flowing to the students themselves. Uh, I worry that, again, yeah, he could be getting hoodwinked by the district here because uh, we see that, you know, you brought up statistics in North Carolina or anecdotes in, you know, other cities. We see this all across the country. And it, it is interesting to see how there are some folks, uh, you know, like Elon Musk. He started his own private school uh, out in Los Angeles where his SpaceX, you know, company is. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg even started his own private school for low-income kids. I think there are some folks who are they're dipping their toes in the water of the education reform space because they're seeing some of these terrible national statistics and they understand that, look, something needs to change and, and it might need to happen outside of the system because hey, Tommy, you know, you're correct. The system itself isn't doing too well. Uh, Tommy, I'm out of time. I really appreciate you being on. You had some great points there and you proved my case. Thank you. Happy to be on. Thanks. All right. That's Tommy Schultz. Thanks. We'll be right back.
With SRN News, I'm Val Dior. Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley just announcing that confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominee Judge Brett Kavanaugh will get underway in the Senate on September 4th, and he expects the hearing to last three or four days. Now, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he hopes that Kavanaugh is confirmed by the Senate before the first Monday in October. California's governor has declared a state of emergency for Orange and Riverside counties as a four-day-old fire carves its way along ridges and hillsides of the Cleveland National Forest. Evacuation orders are in effect for more than 20,000 people south of Los Angeles. Thousands of homes are threatened in the foothills above Lake Elsinore and nearby communities. On Wall Street, the Dow closing down 196 to 25,313. NASDAQ ending down 53 to end the day at 78.39. And the S&P ends down 20 to 28.33. For more details, srnnews.com. Are you drowning in IRS tax debt? I owe the IRS $37,000. Get ready for a toll-free hotline. Take advantage of new IRS tax forgiveness programs that may protect you from IRS collection agencies. They have the power to garnish your wages, put liens on your property, and levy your bank account. Civic Tax Relief can help protect you from the IRS. Civic Tax Relief basically represented me against the IRS, and by the time everything was completed, I didn't owe the IRS anything. Find out about the Fresh Start program that is now available through Civic Tax Relief. Civic Tax Relief's special tax hotline can help you discover all the relief programs available for free. I would recommend anyone who has a tax problem to contact Civic Tax Relief. Just call 800-601-7780. 800-601-7780. Don't wait. Call now. 800-601-7780. 800-601-7780. Mike Gallagher wants to see the proof that Russian hacking actually influenced the election. I get it. If you're if you're miserable about the Trump presidency, you sit around and you say, if only, if only. Did anything Russia did help Hillary get defeated. Now prove it. Show me a vote that was changed because of Russia. And then what are we going to do about it? You're going to undo the election? The Mike Gallagher Show. Weekdays at 9, right before Dennis Prager at noon on AM 1250. The answer. You know the moment. The workday is over. Your daily responsibilities have been met. The shoes slip off and you lay back. It's that end of day. (sighs) Ah. That's the relief you'll feel when you rest on the body-soothing serenity. Made locally at the Original Mattress Factory. Relief from middleman markups and a hard day's work. The Original Mattress Factory. Thoughtfully made, honestly priced. OriginalMattress.com When it comes to selling you a mattress, most retailers are handing you a line. A long line of extra steps that drive up costs and create confusion. At the Original Mattress Factory, we simplify the mattress shopping experience by building mattresses and box springs in our own local factories and selling them direct to you. It's short, sweet, and simply makes sense. So experience more than just a mattress store. Experience an original, the Original Mattress Factory. Over two-thirds of Christian young people will step away from their faith while attending a non-Christian college or university. But AM 1250 The Answer and Salem Media Pittsburgh have a solution. Salem Media Pittsburgh has partnered with Judson University, a private Christian college, in offering a limited number of special grants designed to decrease the cost of tuition by over half. These tuition grants are available now. Call our tuition solution 
Education Specialist at 412-503-4769 to reserve yours. Oh, excuse me, I have to get this text. It's my son. He texts H-Y-D. That means, how's your day? G-R-A-P-F-Y. That means, I'm great and praying for him. We used to be really close when he was in high school. After that, not so much. Until I learned to text. I-L-Y means, I love you. Conversation. Make the effort and keep your family close. For communication tips, visit Facebook.com slash Make Every Day Count. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. Weather not doing us any favors, still under a flood warning. And there is some flooding affecting many highways, including 837 West Mifflin at Lebanon School Road. Also in the Keys for the Mansfield Memorial Bridge. Now over to the Parkway West, it is very heavy inbound as you approach Carnegie to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. And the Parkway East, that's low outbound. Lots of delays from Forbes Avenue to Edgewood, Swissvale. Outbound 28, also heavy from the Parkway North up to the Highland Park Bridge. I'm Jenny Robinson on AM 1250, The Answer. AM 1250, The Answer, Weather. Mostly cloudy and muggy tonight with a couple of showers and thunderstorms in the area, any of which can be heavy early on tonight below 65. We'll stay rather cloudy tomorrow into tomorrow night with a shower or thunderstorm on a couple of occasions. High tomorrow, 78. Low tomorrow night, 64. And still a shower or thunderstorm in spots for Sunday with a high of 78. I'm meteorologist Danielle Niddle on AM 1250, The Answer. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. Been a long time since I've been to New York City. I used to go there a lot uh, for work, and I decided a while ago that it's a rat hole, and I never want to go there again. Um, one of the things I grew to hate about the city was just dealing with cabs. I, some people find that romantic, I guess. After a while, it got real old. I thought that Uber might help that uh, fiasco, but ever since Uber and Lyft showed up up there, the, uh, the cab companies, city government, uh, they've been doing everything they can to chase them off. Well, today it was announced that a cap was being put on the number of non-taxi drivers allowed. Alex Omlovich is an adjunct fellow at the Manhattan Institute and has to deal with cabs every day. Alex, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me, John. I'm happy to be here. So um, how big of a deal is this Uber battle in New York? I, one thing that struck me is that it's it's two, there are two left-leaning organizations, if you want to call them that, uh, at least left-leaning factions, maybe is a better word, um, the the social justice warriors are in favor of having Uber, and and the uh, labor union that uh, represents the cabbies and the and those kinds of people they don't want them, right? right. That's right, and um, I, I think there's um, you know there's definitely something of a partisan divide on that, but um, uh, I mean wh- one of the one of the issues here is that it's really not the best way to solve congestion in Manhattan. Um, and so the fact that it's affecting, um, it's going to affect in terms of, like you said, uh, people who care about social justice communities, um, lower income uh, communities in the outer boroughs, there's no need to punish Uber and Lyft riders in your, or taking a, a trip from, say, Brooklyn to Queens. There's no reason to punish that rider when we need to address congestion in Manhattan. But this, but how much of this is just government overreach and uh, a situation where the government should just keep its nose completely out of it? Well, I mean, it's 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 basically the, the the government is not managing its its assets. The government owns the road. It's not managing them the way a private actor would. So, if if they were to charge for where the roads are busiest, the way an airline charges more for the busiest weekends, um, it would be a much more efficient way to manage that asset. 
So instead of doing that, they're doing this kind of third or fourth best clunky policy intervention that's going to have all these other unintended consequences. It, it just seems to me like a, um, a it, it's it's like the the uh, buggy whip manufacturers uh, protesting the uh, availability of cars. You know, in 1910, it, it just it seems really stupid to me, and I, I don't know. Am I am I oversimplifying it? No, I, I think you're right. Um, the um, the return to a cap approach like this, where you just say there's going to be, you know, we're going to limit the number of drivers who are allowed to operate, uh, just straight up with with nothing about what time of day. It's not it's not targeted towards the congested times. It's not geographically targeted towards where the congestion is. So it's really not a great congestion solution. Um, and uh, and yeah, in terms of the buggy whip, it's like yeah, uh, the old way is um, in order to try to reduce trips in Manhattan, they had these things called green cabs that were, uh, uh, you, you weren't allowed to pick up inside of Manhattan, but um, you were allowed to pick up between the outer boroughs. And uh, that ends up, anytime someone wants to take a trip into Manhattan, it's not allowed to pick someone up on the way back. So there's all this, uh, you know, empty deadheading, they call it, when the cab comes back empty. So it's, you know, you can, you can use this old cap approach, but it has all these unintended consequences that are way less, way less good than just pricing the bridges appropriately. But um, so what's going to happen? I mean, what is this going to mean now that uh, if they cap the number of Uber drivers allowed, if somebody from here from Pittsburgh is traveling to New York and they land at one of the uh, New York City airports, uh, what mm-hmm. what's going to what and they go outside, are they going to have to take a cab or they're going to be able to find an Uber driver uh, Lyft? Right. Um, the as uh, so if, at, uh Basically, there's going to be turnover in drivers, but not new drivers signing up to drive because there's a cap on the new ones. Only existing people who have the licenses can operate. So over time, the number of available drivers is going to go down, and, and you're going to see more surge pricing in order to attract drivers to where you want to go. So, yeah, when, when, when you come in, you could see over time increasing prices um, or, or that you'd have to take a cab the old-fashioned way. Um, now, yeah, exactly. So that's, that's the impact for a traveler coming in. But the other issue is that... Um, uh, service will shrink from the outside in. So this does nothing to make Manhattan less attractive. No. All the operators that exist still want to stay in Manhattan. So it's going to shrink service in the outer boroughs while all the congested area still stays congested. So it's, it's not going to help anything, and it's going to hurt a little bit. Well, I'm, I'm having a little trouble, um, you know, maybe because I'm not from New York City, and, and, you know, I've been there many times, and it's been a while since I've been there, and I, I would uh, – I never considered riding in a cab there a pleasant experience. But – um, I what 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 is, what is it about the congestion that, that what is it about Uber that causes the congestion? Just uh, just the simple fact that there's just more people picking other people up. Uh, is it or there is it um, uh, people waiting longer for cabs? You know, on, yeah, in I front mean, of the hotels. I mean, where, where's the where, where does the congestion come from? So congestion comes from any any vehicle using the road, like. Um, the road is like um, it's like an uh, it's like an open buffet where it's it's all you can eat and you don't have to pay for uh, for eating more. And so, whether you're a private driver, whether you're an Uber driver, no one uh, is thinking about the impact of their choice to drive into Manhattan instead of taking subway. No one takes into account their effect on their other people on the road. So, if if you were to charge a price that's equal to the effect of a person driving in Manhattan, then then that would internalize it. But for everyone, not just for Uber, and Uber itself is in favor of that. This plan called Move New York congestion pricing for the bridges, Uber is actually in favor of that because it would put Uber on a level playing field with everyone else without unduly punishing just them. And it would actually address the congestion that we want to address. 
So, but it would it be a case of the government, in this case, I guess the city, uh, telling Uber what they are or are not allowed to charge for for a ride, depending on where they pick someone up? Well, they're, they're not doing a direct price regulation uh, on this. It's just kind of indirect in terms of capping capping the number of uh, you know, capping the number of riders. But um, uh, I'm sorry, capping the number of drivers. So it, it is an indirect, there will probably be an indirect price effect. And how large that is depends on how quickly the drivers turn over during this one-year freeze. But, um, but yeah, so there, there will be a price impact. Yeah, and I guess what I'm trying to get at here is if I'm an Uber driver, and I don't drive Uber, but uh, and I, don't, I, don't, I can't tell you the last time I took a cab or Uber. I try to travel as little as possible these days. But um, <laughs> um, if, if I'm an Uber driver, who determines what, what I'm going to get based on where I'm going? Is it, is it the same amount of uh, money per ride? Is it based? I mean, I'm sure it's based on distance and time and all that stuff. But, I mean, in New York City, is it going to be based on where I'm driving? Right. They're, they're, they're planning to, uh, they're planning to impose an earning standard for Uber drivers to try to reduce the amount of time that's spent in between rider pickups. But it's, it, this hasn't been tried before, so we're not exactly sure how it's going to work. Um, the estimate is that it, that it could end up, again, driving up prices indirectly by setting, by setting, uh, you know, a, a minimum on, on driver pay. But, um, it's good for existing drivers, but it's bad for potential future drivers. And is it is it just is what's it going to do to Uber long term? Is it going to kill Uber? Because it seems I get the feeling that that's what they would really like to do is just go back to the cabs and the million dollar medallions and the stupidity that they've had for the last fifty years. Yeah, that, I mean, honestly, that 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 really would be awful. Like going back to the to deadheading green cabs is not an improvement, and it's not good for people who live in the auto boroughs. Um, and so you're, you're absolutely right. Um, it puts Uber at more risk. Uh, because it's 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 capping them without doing anything to stop the other sources of congestion. So we're we're hobbling one part of the entire fleet of cars on the road without doing anything to address the entire fleet to actually fix congestion. So absolutely, I think I mean it, it risks putting Uber in its most important market in America, you know, in a more precarious position. We're talking to Alex Omlovich, uh, an adjunct fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Who better to talk to than someone at the Manhattan Institute about the <laughs> stupidity in Manhattan? Um, so I, I guess, for, you know, people in Pittsburgh don't care all that much about what's happening in New York. But what, the reason I think it's important is because I have a feeling that the mayor here, who's a Democrat and a big government mm-hmm. guy, um, and in other cities it's the same thing, This is it's only a matter of time till this is what happens everywhere. And Uber is going to be in danger. Right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. The risk is that other cities look at this and draw the wrong lesson. So hopefully, um, hopefully this one-year freeze doesn't get extended, and instead they move to a, a comprehensive congestion pricing approach. Um, you know, the the, the uh, that that version can work for any city, especially if you have. I mean, Pittsburgh does have some uh, some bridges and tunnels that are, you know obviously are choke points for the regional road network. Um, if they wanted to deal with congestion, doing it that way, where you have uh, tolls on the overcrowded tunnels. And using that money to cut other taxes, that would be the way to fix congestion. But like you said, they might draw the wrong lesson and just do this cap and then hurt Uber without actually solving congestion. And, and as a guy who works at the Manhattan Institute, and I'm assuming you are a guy who prefers less government to more. Um, That's right. Th- how, much of the, what, how much of this is just an example of the, uh, a, a Democratic mayor or a liberal mayor, liberal government um, – being incapable of restraining itself from just sticking its nose in and ruining what was looking like a pretty good thing for people. 
Right. It's 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 anti market. Um, yeah. It's basically it's it's anti market overreach by government. It's that's right. And um, and is there any recourse for people? I mean, what are the are the Uber? Can the Uber drivers go on strike? What, too bad they can't uh, organize themselves and say, okay, we're just we quit. We're not doing it anymore. Well, I mean, in you know, in in principle, there you know there have been uh, driver actions in the past, but I'm not sure what the outlook is for that at the moment. Yeah. Well. Um, go ahead. Sorry. No, um, yeah, it's, um, I, you know, I think, uh, I, you know, I think it depends on how it depends on how this driver pay, um, how this driver pay law works in terms of the city is trying to buy support from drivers um, by combining the cap with a minimum compensation standard for drivers. So it depends on how drivers view that. You know what I mean? In other words, existing drivers might be on board, even though it hurts future potential drivers. And what does a what what has happened to the price of a medallion? I can remember when I think I read somewhere that a medallion, and that's that's basically a license to drive a cab in New York, was could cost somebody a million dollars. Yeah, it was crazy. It was that million dollars represented the uh, the the value of what you could extract from the driver from the difference between what you paid him and what you collected in fares. Um, and so it was a regulated monopoly that was you know creating massive amounts of rent for medallion owners. But how did I mean? I never, I never understood how um, someone who makes whatever a cab driver makes could afford to mm-hmm. to buy a, a million dollar medallion. And and if and if I had a million dollars, and I lived in New York, I would take my million dollars and move somewhere else, and and take my million dollars right. where I might get something for it, other than a a, a a chance to drive around the streets of New York City. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Like medallion prices crashed when Uber came in and competed. Because now there was someone else you could drive for. In the old days, you could only drive for a medallion owner. You you worked for the medallion owner, and and only as many medallions as there were could you you know could you be a driver. Um, and so the um, uh, you know the emergence of Uber basically wiped that out. Um, we could see a return to that system, which, like you said, wasn't really that great for drivers anyway. But but. So if I'm a cab driver, I'm not paying the million dollars for the medallion. Some rich guy is buying it, and then I'm working for him. Mm-hmm. So very few cab drivers exactly. are driving their own cabs. So how is that good for anybody? No, that's right. Well, no, exactly. And 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 the driver, the driver who's actually out there doing the work, he starts his day in the hole after paying the regulatory rent to the medallion owner. He starts out a couple hundred bucks in the hole and has to make that up in fares, and and that that daily revenue is what makes the medallion valuable. You have to buy the right to drive every day. You have to rent the right to drive. Now, under the old medallion system, and this is government. So the medallions. I'm going to guess that the medallions. Uh, it, it wouldn't hurt to be the right person's brother-in-law in order to get one of those. If uh, oh, yeah, especially if you got in early. So you know, if you bought, I mean, obviously the medallions didn't start out as worth a million dollars. If if you got in early, you know, you that's one of the reasons the taxi lobby was so. Uh, viciously opposed to Uber is that this is a million dollar capital loss for them that they were, you know, again, the money that they were able to extract from drivers, they were renting it to. Um, uh, but yeah, they weren't successful because it's consumers and drivers who were sick of paying rent to the medallion owners, uh, you know, wanted the alternative. And here in Pittsburgh, uh, the yellow cab had a monopoly right up until Uber showed up uh, forever. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they would, they had trouble getting them to go to certain neighborhoods so it wasn't serving the people who lived in those neighborhoods because of you know they were afraid to go in there. Uh, I guess the Uber drivers will That's go. Right. They used to have what they called jitneys here in Pittsburgh that would do it. But uh, so mm-hmm. how how does uh, reducing the number of choices for drivers 
uh, and for, for modes of transportation help the people who live in those neighborhoods? It, it absolutely does not help at all, right? Uh, the most attractive neighborhoods um, are going to stay the most attractive ones. And if you reduce the number of cars, they're not going to leave the attractive neighborhood first. They're no. going to leave uh, exactly a spot where they get a less easy pickup. Um, the other thing being that Uber drivers like the um, the validation of having you know a, a, a social media uh, connection and then a continuous GPS connection where both of you have a known identity. So it's kind of safer for both parties because both of you you know have your GPS location and have your credit card on file and everything. So it's kind of a mutual safety thing, and drivers are much more willing to go uh, anywhere you know basically just wherever the pickups are. Well, hey, hey, Alex, I appreciate you being on with us. Um, I'm glad I'm not there dealing with it, but um, wh- how do you see it? What's the, real quickly, how's this going to end, or has it ended? Is this the end of it? Well, I mean, it's a one-year freeze, so my hope is it actually gets the uh, uh, it gets Uber and Lyft and Via, the other company there in New York, gets them all together with the transit advocates to move towards comprehensive congestion pricing to actually fix congestion without attacking ride-hailing riders. Um, and I think I'm hoping that that's the coalition that, that comes out of this and, and, and making sure that this one year cap does not get renewed. Hey, Alex, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Okay. Yeah, it's great to talk. All right. Yep. Thank you. That's Alex Omlovich, uh, an adjunct fellow of the at the Manhattan Institute. And um, I don't know, is it coming to Pittsburgh? I got a feeling uh, if, if the government here could figure out a way to get rid of Uber, it would get rid of Uber. We'll be right back. Getting close to retirement? Experience a nice Trumponomics bump in your portfolio? Well, we know the market goes up, and unfortunately, we also know it goes down. Don't risk your retirement to market whims. Learn how you can lock in those gains today by spending time with the team at Marley Financial. Todd Marley and the experts at Marley Financial can help you design a retirement plan that is bulletproof against the market's ups and downs. The team at Marley Financial uses a multitude of different techniques to make sure that you you have a retirement plan that is tax-friendly, stable, and worry-free. Oh, and speaking of taxes, did you know that Marley Financial can handle that too? With all the changes in the tax laws, be sure you're taking advantage of the best possible deduction and make sure you know what adjustments to make for your overall financial picture going forward. Call today for a no-obligation consultation to see just how, for 25 years, the clients at Marley Financial have never had a retirement plan fail. Call 724-884-1496 to Today, 724-884-1496 or visit them at marleyfg.com. Don't pay double for your next home improvement project. Many companies are simply asking too much for windows, siding, and doors. You need at least three estimates. Just make sure Windows R Us is one of them. With over 50 years of home remodeling experience, Windows R Us is more than a window company. They're the area's premier exterior replacement company for roofing, siding, doors, gutters, even shutters and downspouts. You'll love their no-pressure sales approach, straightforward menu-style pricing, and the absolute fastest turnaround in the business. Windows R Us offers multiple financing options and will match any competitor's price. No hidden costs or final invoice surprises ever and their no loophole full lifetime warranty covers everything including labor and glass breakage at no additional charge mention am 1250 and get an exclusive 10 percent discount for listeners of this station only why pay double before you buy visit windowsruspittsburgh.com they're more than a window company they're the area's premier exterior replacement company windowsruspittsburgh.com 
The future looks bright for conservatives with thousands in tax cuts, a booming economy, low unemployment, and the president's brilliant nomination of Brett Kavanaugh as Supreme Court Justice. Support this bright future and switch to Patriot Mobile's supreme cell phone service. Patriot Mobile is the nation's only conservative cell phone company and supports causes you believe in. Vote with your dollars on issues that you care about, like protecting your rights and the Constitution's originality, all by just paying your Patriot Mobile cell phone bill. While supplies last, enjoy a new Motorola E4 or an E4 Plus smartphone for only $4 a month. Save over 40% on a terrific water-resistant phone, perfect for the summer, and help bring about conservative change. Switch today by calling 1-800-APATRIOT or go to PatriotMobile.com. Again, that's 1-800-APATRIOT or PatriotMobile.com. Switch today and start making conservative change happen every time you use your cell phone. How much do you spend on your pest control each year? 200 300 or even $500 or more? What if I said you could spend less than $25 a year, even less with promo code RADIO20? Then listen up. G'day, I'm Scott from Plug-In Pest Free, and yes, it is possible to rid your home or business of unwanted pests for less than $25 per year. The answer is Plug-In Pest Free. Our best seller, the Plug-In Pest Free Pro, will cover up to 4,000 square feet. Now that's fair dinkum. For just a one-time cost of only $249, even less with promo code RADIO20, you'll be pest-free for years to come. Log on to gopestfree.com today. Use promo code RADIO20 and start driving those pests away. Don't spray and regret. Plug in and forget. Gopestfree.com. That's gopestfree.com. Promo code RADIO20. You're listening to the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. So last night on Fox, uh, Mark Stein filling in for Tucker Carlson uh, ran this video. This is an edited portion of the video from Vox.com about MS-13, a lovely group. Think of the street gang MS-13. What do you see? Maybe something like this or this. But what if I told you the typical MS-13 gang member in the U.S. actually looks like one of these young men on Facebook? The MS-13 members that I've been following are working after-school jobs. They're living with their parents. They get around Long Island on bicycles. There's no indication that we're seeing a bigger surge of MS-13 than we'd seen in the past. That's right. The MS-13 is a lovely group. Um, they had 2016 to 17. They had 17 homicides in 16 months. Uh, one of them was uh, two, uh, two girls killed and chopped up. Another one, four boys killed, a quadruple murder. They were chopped into little pieces. Uh, Donald Trump made a point to say that he wanted to get MS-13 out of the country, so that immediately made them popular, apparently, uh, and uh, among people like Vox.com. So I'm thinking maybe the Pirates ought to have MS-13 night at PNC Park, have a group of the kids down there. Maybe they can uh, you know, just mingle with the fans. Uh, it should be really nice. Uh, nice night for the family. Come down and honor the MS-13. Do we have any MS-13 in Pittsburgh? I don't know. Maybe they're out riding their bikes. I can't find them. But anyway, we've had a good week. Uh, thanks to our producer, Aaron Byrne. Thanks to you for listening. And I'll see you on Monday here on AM 1250, The Answer. The John Steigerwald Show is a production of AM 1250, The Answer, and Salem Media Group.